All right, let's go ahead and get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. My name is James Sawyerwini. And I'm Kyle Knapp. And we work on the SDKs and tools team. We primarily focus on client-side tooling in Python. So some of the things that we work on include Boto3, which is the AWS SDK for Python, AWS Chalice, which is a serverless micro-framework for Python, and the AWS CLI, which is what we're going to be talking about today. We're excited to share with you what's new with the AWS CLI. Now, quick show of hands, who here has used the AWS CLI before? Wow, that nice. is almost everyone. That is awesome. OK. Uh, so for the few that haven't seen the CLI before, it's a unified tool for managing your AWS resources. It's cross-platform. It works on Windows, Linux, Mac. We have a number of installers to get you up and running quickly. And there's over 150 top-level CLI commands. Now, it wasn't always this way. In fact, version 1.0.0 of the CLI was released maybe five, just over five years ago, and we've been adding a number of things to the CLI since then. Another quick show of hands, is anyone here for reInvent 2013? Oh, wow, okay, that's great. So to give you an idea of what we've done since version 1.0 of the AWS CLI, we've had over 600 tagged versions of the CLI, 5,700 plus commits, and hundreds of thousands of lines of modified code, Bodocore, which is the underlying library that powers the AWS CLI, has seen similar numbers. And comparing 1.0 to the current version of the AWS CLI, there is a lot more code added. I know lines of code isn't the best metric for these types of things, but one of the things that I'm really happy about is if we look at the lines of code to test code for version 1.0, it was about 1 to 1, and for the recent version of the AWS CLI, it's almost a 2 to 1 ratio. Now, because most of you are familiar with the AWS CLI, we'll, we won't spend a whole lot of time on going over the basics here, but we're going to switch to the demo and just give you a brief overview. We'll spend maybe about a minute on it, since it seems like most of you are familiar with it. So this is like the crash course to being productive with the AWS CLI. The basic idea is that once you have it installed and configured, and we'll, Kyle will go into that part in more detail in the second section here, but I can run help. It's going to give me a number of top-level commands here. These were the 150-plus top-level commands we were talking about, typically correspond to an AWS service. I can do the same thing for a service here, and this is going to give me the operations, so things like the attached volume and other operations for the Amazon EC2 API. And then if I wanted to run a command, I could just run, say, describe regions, and since I don't have any required parameters, it just gives me the output. Um, if you've used the CLI before, you've also probably seen different output formats. So this gives me all of the data on one screen. This is a table output, easier to visually parse. And then there's a text output. So this is useful if you want to pipe this to, say, grep or set or awk or some other text processing tool. Uh, the other thing, if you're using the CLI, you've probably come across the query argument. So you can say query and then give it an expression here. And let's say that I just wanted the region names and it'll give me just the list of the particular key that I'm interested in. So that was pretty quick. It seems like most of you are familiar with it, so we'll just go ahead and call that the good for the demo. If you know that much for the CLI, you're pretty much uh, able to get up and running very quickly, but we'll switch back to the slides here, and can you continue talking about AWS CLI? Now, for version 1.0, one of the things we really care about is backwards compatibility. We want to make sure that scripts that are run using some version of 1.x continue to run on future versions of 1.x. And that means some fairly obvious things, like we don't remove commands and parameters, we don't remove features. But then there's some other more subtle things, like we don't change defaults, we don't make optional parameters required. 
Uh, and we want to make sure that you're able to safely upgrade your scripts and take advantage of the latest bug fixes and the newest features in the AWS CLI while continuing uh, to have your scripts work. However, in that time, we've also heard a lot of customer feedback about things that they would like to see changed, things that uh, we can improve upon, and we've really learned a lot over the last five years. So we've taken all of that feedback, we've collected it, we've been looking it over, and we have started work this year on the AWS command line interface version 2.0. Now, I want to mention before we get into a lot of the details here that version 2.0 is still under active development, so it is being developed openly on GitHub. There's a lot of time to shape its direction and its future. What we're going to show you today is a preview of what we have so far and some of the things that we're thinking about for V2. Now, in terms of the major themes, there's really three, and we're going to go over these three in today's talk. There's the removal of features. Then there's interactive usage. This is when you're at your laptop or your dev machine working with the CLI. How can we make that better? And then there's also high-level commands. So if you've used a CLI before, you've probably used the S3 commands and come across the S3 and the S3 API commands. And in doing so, we wanted to continue with that trend of giving you high-level commands that are maybe more idiomatic to use. So if you've used S3, you know there's LS, CP, MV, RM. These are commands that you probably use all the time when you're in the terminal. Now, we'll cover real quickly backwards incompatible changes because that's fairly straightforward. These are some of the things we've already removed or in the process of removing. And I'll just highlight a couple because I want to stress that CLIv2 is not uh, from the ground rewrite. It's mostly taking some of the changes that we've been waiting on in V1 and then being able to apply them now that we're doing a new major version. So for example, we have one, param or one feature here where we removed um, the ability to fetch remote values to start with HTTP and HTTPS. What this would do is if it started with that value, it would retrieve the remote uh, file, and then whatever the contents of that file is would be used for the value. And so in V1, we added a flag to turn this off, and in V2, it's just removed entirely. Another example here is with dropping support for Python 2.6, Python 3.3, and Python 3.4. If you're not a Python developer, those are really old end-of-life versions of Python. And in removing support for that, what that's going to allow us to do is to take advantage of some of the features that are in modern versions of Python, notably around the SSL and TLS libraries. But it still means that if you're on a modern OS on your dev laptop or dev machine, you'll still be able to install the CLI, and it'll still work with the majority of the Python versions you have installed. But with that being said, we also wanted to try to improve that as well and make it so that you don't even have to worry about the version of Python that you have installed on your system. And so Kyle's going to talk about the improvements we've made in the getting started and the configuration process. Thanks, James. So the, one of the main focus points of the CLI v2 is improving the getting started process with respect to making it more easy and more streamlined to get up and running with the AWS CLI. Um, specifically, in order to improve the getting started experience, we've improved the installation story and the configuration story. So with the CLI v1, there are three main mechanisms in order to install it. You can install it through the MSI installers. You can also install it through a bundle installer that uh, is essentially a zip file containing the CLI and all of its dependencies. And you can also install it with pip. For v2 of the CLI, we're keeping the MSI installers but replacing the bundle installer and installing through with pip with a PKG installer for Mac OS and Linux installers for the various flavors of Linux. And the reason why we're doing this is it gives us three benefits. First, it's going to give us control over exactly what gets installed in an environment. So for example, with CLI v1, 
we were never really able to pull in libraries that had C extensions, because with C extensions, you need to have it compiled, whether it be pre-compiled and downloading it, or downloading the library and compiling yourself. So if the CLI pulled in a dependency that had a C extension, and there was no pre-compiled binary available, it would require that users have to have a compiler to install the CLI, which would be a backwards incompatible change. The second reason is it's going to give us a better getting starting experience. You no longer have to manage your installation of the CLI through the bundle installer or through pip. You can use whatever package manager that you're accustomed to based off your operating system. And then finally, it's going to improve our extensibility story. So we're going to have a lot more control over where the CLI gets installed and does have more control over where plugins get installed and managed. As it relates to configuration, if you've used a CLI before, you've likely ran the AWS configure command where you are prompted for an access key. You input that value, and you continue with a secret access key, the region, output. And once you fill out all those, you're good to go. However, the CLI has a lot more options to configuration other than access key and secret key. There's a lot more configuration features available, such as assume roles, setting up a process provider to authenticate with SAML. There's a bunch of different CLI configuration options. And for the most part, you'd have to read the documentation and learn how to configure it that way. And there wasn't really an AWS configure command to actually help you uh, set this all up. And with that being said, a big focus for the configuration improvements is to make these configuration values more discoverable and more streamlined in setting up. So the configuration improvements uh, can be narrowed down to two categories. There's improvements to Amazon EC2 and improvements to the local configuration process. And with Amazon EC2, the idea is that we don't want to require any installation or configuration. You can essentially spin up a new EC2 instance with an IAM instance profile, SSH onto the EC2 instance, and be able to immediately start using the AWS CLI. So what that entails is making sure the AWS CLI is included in the Amazon Linux Ami, the CLI continually to uh, fetch temporary credentials from the instance metadata service, and a new feature we've added in CLI v2, which is to fetch the region from the instance metadata service by default, so you no longer have to configure a region. Then, as to the improvements to the local configuration process, the main feature we've added is the idea of a configuration wizard. So if I was to type AWS configure wizard, I'll then be able to be prompted uh, asking me, what do I want to set up? And then prompted for values in order to get it set up correctly. So now, in order to uh, show this, I'm going to head into a demo of all these features that I talked about. So the first thing I have set up, let's assume we don't have the CLI installed at all. Uh, so in order to go ahead and install the CLI v2, you can go ahead and go to this GitHub page right here. And you can see this is the, tag, the first tag to preview release of the AWS CLI v2. It has a package installer that I can then use. And I already have this package installer downloaded. And I can go ahead and run open on this package installer. And then it'll get. Then it'll prompt me for uh, specific uh, values. So it's, it'll give me a README. It'll then tell me what the license is. I can go ahead and agree to it. I can choose where I want to install it, and then go ahead and type in the password and get it installed. Cool. Looks like this installation was successful. Now, if I hop back into my terminal. I can confirm that it's now installed. So if I type AWS dash dash version, 
you'll see that I have the 2.0.0 dev0 version of the AWS CLI. Continuing on the same trend of you're brand new to CLI, let's say you don't have credentials as well. So in order to install or get credentials, a typical pattern would be to go to the IAM console and add a user. I'm gonna call this user my user and give it programmatic access. From there, I can attach a policy. I'm gonna attach the administrator policy here and continue on through this wizard until I create my user. And once I create my user, I'll have an access key. I can then copy and paste in the secret access key that I can input into the AWS configure command. So this is what I would do if I was doing V1 of the CLI. So I'd copy and paste the access key over here and the secret key here. What I want to actually show you now, though, is a new command we added to help streamline this process of importing, configure, importing credentials. So another thing you may have noticed is you have the download CSV option here. So I'm going to go ahead and download this to uh, my disk. And the new command we added is called the AWS configure import command. And the idea is that you can provide a CSV parameter and give it the contents of the CSV file. I download it to downloads credentials.csv. And when I run this command, it'll say it imported a profile for me. The cool part about this command is that if you have multiple users in this credentials.csv file, it'll be able to import all those profiles as well. So let's go ahead and make sure and see what the profile is set up. So I can run a new command that we've added to CLIv2 called list profiles. And that will print out that I have a new profile called my user set up. So let's go ahead and test those credentials to make sure that they work fine. So I'm going to run the AWS EC2 describe regions command and specify the profile as that new profile I created. And you can see I have all the regions that are available for EC2 here. And that about wraps up that demo. Uh, the one things I want to emphasize with this demo was you can go ahead and start using the CLI from GitHub. There's a PKG installer you can use. And also, uh, the CLI v2 has improved the getting started process for importing credentials. No longer you have to manually input it yourself. So now let's go ahead and talk about the features that I referred to in the slides. I'm going to switch to this tab where I'm SSH'd onto an EC2 instance. It already has a CLI v2 installed. And let's go ahead and look at what the configuration currently is set up for this EC2 instance by running the AWS configure list command. And when I run it, you can see that I have an access key, secret key, and region set up. Um, the IAM role type just means it's coming from the instance metadata service. And you can also see the regions coming from the instance metadata service as well. This EC2 instance is uh, set up in US West 2. So to prove that this all works, I can go ahead and run AWS EC2 describe regions and I get the, call, the response I'd expected. So now let's do something a little bit more complicated and use the AWS Configure Wizard that I talked about in the slides. So to use the AWS Configure Wizard, I could go ahead and type AWS Configure Wizard here, and then it'll prompt me for what I'd like to configure. I have multiple different options I can uh, scroll up and down for, so I can choose static credentials, assume role provider. So if I choose static credentials, I can go ahead and be prompted for the profile I want to create. I could call it my profile. And then I'll be prompted for the access key, seeker key, similar to the AWS configure command. For the sake of this demo, I'm not going to actually follow through with the wizard. Specifically, this is an EC2 instance that has an instance profile. It doesn't make a lot of sense to have 
uh, static credentials laying around on your instance. So instead, what I'm going to do is choose the Zoom role option to set up a Zoom role provider for my profile. And the profile I'm going to call it is S3 read only. And now the wizard will list all the roles available to me. And let me go ahead and scroll through and select the one I want. So I can scroll down and up and choose the S3 read only one. And then from there, I have to go ahead and choose a credential source that I want to use to assume the role. So I can choose a source profile, meaning find a profile in my shared config file and use the static credentials to assume the role. I can choose environment variables. In our case, we're going to go ahead and choose this EC2 instance metadata option. And now, um, a new profile should have been created on my behalf. So if I go ahead and run tail-n on the shared config file, you'll see I have a new profile called S3 read-only. It specifies the role aren't here for this S3 read-only as well. And the credential source is EC2 instance metadata. So what that means is when the CLI uses this profile, it'll grab temporary credentials from the EC2 instance metadata service, and then make an assumed role call with this S3 read-only role to get new credentials so we can then make API calls to Amazon S3. So let's go ahead and make sure that this all works. I'm going to go ahead and run the AWS S3 command, and I'm going to run it on a bucket that I've previously created, and I use this new profile. And you can see that I have one object in my bucket. And now let's go ahead and test the permissions a little bit more. So I'm going to try to write to this bucket and make sure it doesn't work, because I only have a read-only role. So if I echo content through standard in to the AWS S3 CP command to that same bucket, and use the profile S3 read only. You should see I get an access denied error, which is what I expected, as I only have read permissions for this role for S3. And that about wraps it up in terms of the demo I wanted to share. Um, the one thing I hope you all got out of it was how the AWS Configure Wizard can really help you discover what the different configuration options are and help you streamline your way to setting up the correct workflow you want. And now I'm going to pass it over to James, and he's going to talk about how wizards can apply more to just configuration. They can apply to services that the AWS CLI supports. Thank you, Kyle. So AWS wizards brings us to the second major theme of AWS CLI v2. Now, if you think about AWS CLI v1 as it exists today, a lot of the functionality there is really to support scripting. You can almost think of it as AWS SDK for Bash or Shell SDK. And a lot of the things we've added help that. So for example, we make sure that all of the output can be programmatically parsed. We saw an example of that by producing JSON or producing some sort of text output that you can pipe to other text processing tools. We're also very careful in certain design constraints, such as being careful about prompting, so making sure that we don't prompt you because that would block a deployment script if it was running in some sort of automated fashion. But there's a lot of commands and a lot of parameters in the AWS CLI. I mentioned that we had over 150 top-level commands, almost 27,000 CLI parameters. And if you know what commands you want to run and the, the type of output you're expecting, then you can write CLI scripts. However, we also wanted to think about how we can help users get started and how we can help them see how you can start to put certain API calls together in order to write these types of scripts. And that was really the main driving factor for the AWS CLI wizards. 
If you've used the web console before, it's very similar to that. So the idea is that it will ask you certain questions about the resource that you want to set up, and at the end, it'll make the necessary API calls to set all that up for you. It's the same idea in the CLI. There's interactive prompting of values. It helps you manage your AWS resources. And one of the things that I really like about it is that it's data-driven. So you don't have to understand Python code, and you don't have to understand the CLI internal code base in order to contribute wizards. It also makes it easier for, say, AWS service teams as they're launching a new service. If they want to contribute wizards to the AWS CLI, they can also do that. Now, the way that wizards are integrated into the AWS CLI, you saw an example of that with Kyle's demo. But you have AWS, and then a service name, and then wizard, and then the wizard name. And it'll have that same structure for any service or any command that has wizards associated with it. So in this example, let's say that I were to run AWS DynamoDB wizard for a new table. And then it'll ask me certain questions about what the table name is, what maybe the primary key is. And after I've answered a number of questions, it will then create the resource for me. Now, I want to show you a demo of a couple of wizards that we've added. So we'll switch over to the demo laptop here. And I'm going to continue on with what Kyle did in his previous demo, which was creating uh, AWS uh, IAM role with a profile. So what I'm going to do now is before, where Kyle had the role that already existed and he selected it, let's go ahead and create an IAM role using these new wizards and see how we can put all of this together. So what I'm going to do is run the IAM wizard command. And I have uh, one wizard in mind, which is a new role. And that's going to allow us to create a new IAM role. So if I run this, it's very similar to what you see in the web UI if you've gone through that before. It's going to ask me what trusted entity I want, what can assume the role, so I can either pick another AWS account or a service. In this case, I'm going to pick a service, and I want something that's going to work with AWS Lambda. So I'll pick AWS service, a new AWS Lambda, and then it's going to ask me to pick what policy I want with the role. So these are all the managed policies. And Kyle had one that was a read-only S3 access. So what I'll do is I'll pick one that's S3 full access for my role. I'll give it a role name. We'll just call it S3 full access. And the description, we'll call it full access to S3 on Lambda. And now here's one of the interesting parts about Wizard. So in addition to creating AWS resources, it can also integrate directly into the AWS CLI because it's run client-side. So what it's asking now is we're about to create a role. Do you want to configure a profile for the CLI that can then use that role? Now, since you already saw how to do that with Kyle's previous demo, I'm going to select no, also because we want to use this in a Lambda function. So I'll say no, and it'll go ahead and create this Lambda, or this IAM role for me. Now, even though it created the role for me, one of the things I might be interested in is eventually, once I get to a point where I have created this role enough times and I don't want to be answering questions, how do I actually go about scripting this? We still want to make sure that the scripting use case for the AWS CLI is still very much possible. And so one of the ways that uh, the AWS Wizards integrates with this is you can use a feature that Kyle showed in a reInvent talk last year, which is the history command. So I can run history show. And I should mention that this is off by default. You do have to explicitly enable this feature in your config file. But if I run this command, what it's going to show me is all of the API calls that were made from the last command that I ran. So these are all the API calls that happened during the uh, wizard new role command. And you can see that the first one is a list policies command. That was when it was asking us, what's the managed policy that we want to create? It also then eventually created the role for us. And we'll look at a, another version of this policy document in just a second. And then you can see once it created the role, then called I am attached role policy with the, with the role arm. And so I can start to see if I wanted to either convert this into a CLI script or maybe use Boto3 or another AWS SDK, I now am able to see how all of this is put together. 
And if I just wanted to double check that, I can run uh, AWS IAM, and then we'll just look at the role here. Call it full access. And we can see the policy document here did allow Lambda to assume the role. And if we wanted to now check the list attached role policies just to make sure that the role is attached. We can see, yeah, the S3 full access is attached. Okay, so we've created a role, and now let's finish this by creating a Lambda function that uses this role. And so I'll show you one more wizard that we've added here. I can run Lambda, and then there is a new function wizard here. And what this is going to ask me is a couple of questions to set up this Lambda function. So what I'll do is I'll call it S3 full access. Now it's going to ask me to select the Python run, or the Lambda runtime. Being a Python developer, I'll pick Python. And then it's going to ask me to pick a role for this function. And I'm going to use the role that I just created, which was the S3 full access role. And now it's going to ask me a couple more questions. To save time, I've already created a Lambda, uh, Lambda code snippet that we'll just use. So I'll just provide those values here, app.handler, and then the path to it, be wizard, and then this zip file here. And so it created this Lambda function for me. And I can do the same thing. If I wanted to see what the commands were that were run as part of this wizard, I can run the history show and then see there was a list roles call. And then there was a Lambda create function that had the particular role that I specified, and then the runtime and all the other uh, values that I specified. And just to show you what that function is doing, we'll just take a look at it real quick. So all it's doing is just verifying the policies. So it creates an S3 client, an EC2 client, and then it's going to make an S3 call here, and then it's going to make an EC2 call here, and record if it's a success or fail, and then just give us the results just so that we can verify the role is working as we expect. So I'll go ahead and invoke this function here using the lambda invoke call, and we'll give it our function name, and then save the results to a file. Once this runs, we'll take a look at the output here. Oops. We'll just pretty print the JSON. And we can see the results that we expected. The S3 call succeeded, and then the EC2 call failed, which is what we would expect. And that's about it for the Wizards demo. One of the things that I wanted to stress here is that in addition to just giving you almost a guided tour through how to create an AWS resource for a particular service, it also still leverages all the parts of the CLI, including the history command, in order to help you start to convert some of the things that you're doing interactively into automated scripts. Now, I mentioned that this was part of the second theme of interactive usage. And in addition to wizards and being able to navigate your way through the various AWS services, another big part of interactive usage is when you know the command you want to run, or you know you have an idea of approximately what you want to run, being able to quickly enter it, being able to do that in an efficient manner. And what Kyle's going to talk about next is some of the things we've added to CLI v2 to make that easier, particularly with discoverability. Thanks, James. So if we go back to the slides. <clears throat> so in terms of the improvements to discoverability, I want to go over my most favorite feature we've added to the CLI v2 so far, which is the improvements to its autocomplete. With v1 in the CLI, you're able to autocomplete command names and parameters. So all you have to do is specify complete-u, the AWS completer, and AWS arguments, and you can start going ahead and doing autocompletion. So I can autocomplete things such as AWS space EC and hit tab, and I'll get all the service commands that start with EC, so EC2, ECR, ECS. 
I can also autocomplete parameters. So if I hit uh, tab after typing in dash, it, dash dash n for the scribe instances command, it will return back to me instance IDs as parameters. Now, for CLI v2, we've been building on the autocompletion. Specifically, we've made it faster. With CLI v1, we would have to load up all the service models from disk each time we hit tab complete, and now we're using a cached index that speeds things up. And the second feature we've added, it's been inspired from another project we work on called the AWS Shell, which is resource value autocompletion. And the idea is that if I was to type out a command, say the delete table, hit dash s table name, and hit tab, it'll return to me all the different tables I have available in my account. And the CLI is doing this by running a DynamoDB list tables underneath the hood and returning back you your table names. Furthermore, we have over 5,000 completions for these resource values, largely thanks to we have completion models that map parameter IDs to resource identifiers and know how to obtain those resource identifiers with what operation. Furthermore, we'll be automatically generating these as well for every new release, so get auto-completions for new features and new services as they come out. So now let's go ahead and demo how the autocomplete looks from, with the CLI v2. So in order to start using autocomplete, I need to run the AWS complete, or the complete command with AWS completer and AWS. And from there, I have autocomplete set up. So what I'm going to do now is modify some of the resources that James created in his previous demo using the autocomplete. So what I'm going to do now is run AWS IAM update role description command. So if I tab complete this I right now, I'll see all the services that begin with I. So I can autocomplete the IAM command. And now I need the update role description command. So if I hit or type in up and hit tab, it returned back to me all the IAM commands that start with up. Specifically, we're going to want this one right here. So I'm going to go ahead and auto-complete my way to finishing this command name. And now I need to specify a role name. So if I hit dash dash r and hit tab, you'll see that I have a region and role name option to choose from. I'm going to choose the role name. And now let's choose the S3 role that James created. So if I type S3 dash and hit tab, it will print out the two different S3-related uh, role names we have. So S3 full access is the one he created, and there's the S3 read-only that I used in my demo. So I'll go ahead and tab complete the full access role name and then add a new description to it. So specifically, I'm going to add the description, this is new. Now we're going to run it. You can see the description has been updated to this is new. And the cool part about uh, the... Yeah, the cool part about the autocompletion is that it applies to uh, not only just IAM, it applies to most services that the AWS CLI supports. So let's go ahead and update the Lambda function that James created as well. And to do that, we're going to run the AWS Lambda uh, update function configuration command. Notice that I'm autocompleting all these and autocompleted the function name. And now if I hit tab with no value, It'll return to me all the Lambda functions that I have available in my account for that region. So you can see there's this S3 full access that I want. And now I can go ahead and autocomplete that. And now to update the Lambda function, let's go ahead and update this runtime from uh, Python 2.7 to Python 3.6 in order to help James give the times. And once I run that command, you can see that the runtime is in fact updated to Python 3.6. So uh, that's about it I want to show for this demo. 
But the one thing I really hope you all took out of it is how much more natural it is to type in commands from the CLI. You no longer have to run another CLI command to figure out all the resources you have available to you and copy-paste that over to the current CLI command you're working on. You can simply hit tab to find your resource values and continue to hit tab to complete your CLI command till completion. So now uh, what I'm going to do is pass it over to James, and he's going to go over the last theme, which is the higher-level features that we've added to the CLI v2. Thank you, Kyle. So for this last theme of CLI v2, in order to show you the high-level commands, what we're going to do is show them to you um, through a sample app. So we're going to have a sample application that we'll walk through in just a second. We wanted to show you, rather than just showing you the commands by themselves, show them maybe how you might use them in context, maybe in your day-to-day -day as you're working on developing an app, and how you can use the AWS CLI to help troubleshoot and debug the application. And in order to do this, we're going to use some high-level commands that we've added. So we mentioned earlier, if you're an experienced CLI user, you've probably used the S3 commands and also uh, ran into the S3 API commands. And just by providing commands that are a little bit more idiomatic for a CLI user, the ls command, cp, rm commands, it makes it easier for you to get up and running with a new high-level abstraction because you don't have to relearn all these new concepts. Now, uh, with that in mind, what we're going to do now is switch back over and walk through the sample application for you. So the idea behind the sample application is a media query app. The idea is you upload things to our application, and it'll figure out what it detects in the image. So what Kyle's going to do here is upload a picture of a puppy, and he's going to hit submit. What this is doing is it's taking it and sending it to our backend code, and then it's going to analyze it and figure out what's in the image and then put certain labels on it. So as you can see here, it's detected that there, it's a dog or a pet or a puppy. And then we can also click on the image here, and we can see it is, in fact, a picture of an adorable corgi puppy. Uh, this is actually our coworker's puppy. Okay, and we can also upload another picture as well, so we'll just show you some of the other labels that I can detect. We'll also upload a picture of a dog and hit submit here. And what it's going to do is the same thing. It's going to process, figure out what's in the image, and then here we can see it says that it's also a dog, but it looks like there's uh, ice and snow and it's having an adventure of some sort. So if we click on this image, we can see that, yeah, it is a dog and it is outdoors in the ice and snow having an adventure. Okay. So that was the uh, part in terms of uploading the app, or uploading images to the app. There's also the ability to filter them. So on the upper right-hand side here, we can search for, say, images that contain a puppy. When we search for that, we just see the one image of the puppy. Uh, we can clear that. And then on the right-hand side, just for completeness, there's also the ability to delete images as well. So if we search for puppy, it's now going to be gone. OK, so that was a quick walkthrough of the sample app. We'll switch back to the slides, and I'll walk you through the architecture just for a second so we can understand how the CLI commands are helping us. So the first thing to note here is that this is a serverless application. It is run with using AWS Lambda as the backend compute service. And there's really three parts to this application. There's the, backend, or there's the REST API through Amazon API Gateway, and that's paired with a Lambda function. That's an API handler. And that's then, depending on what the request is, either going to upload the image to S3 or it's going to query our Amazon DynamoDB database. And then the second part of the app is this backend part. So once we upload an image to S3, it's configured with S3 event notifications. And that itself is hooked up to Lambda functions that are going to download the image and then send it to another service, Amazon Recognition. And that's what actually does the heavy lifting of taking the image and figuring out what labels are in the image and then sending it back to us. And then we take that response. We transform it a little bit, and we store it into our DynamoDB table. 
And that's what the API handler is using to query the, when we get requests for searching. And then the third part is off on the bottom there, which is canaries. And that's triggered using CloudWatch events. So every minute, we have a Lambda function that's invoked. And then that Lambda function will then hit the public API of our REST API and then record the response. So if you get a 200 status code, um, it will then take that and send it to a CloudWatch uh, metric. And we have alarms based on the CloudWatch metric if it drops below a certain threshold. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to mention, we won't have any time really to get into a lot of details on the architecture. If this is interesting to you, this is all written using a framework called AWS Chalice. As I mentioned, that's something that Kyle and I work on. And if you want to learn more about this, we're doing, there's a Chalk Talk tomorrow and Thursday where we go into a lot more detail. It's a lot more open discussion about just serverless and how to use AWS Chalice to write and deploy these types of applications. Just wanted to uh, uh, put that out there in case you're interested. Now, what we'll do is we'll switch back over to the demo app and walk through a couple of things about how the CLI might help you. So let's go ahead and refresh the page. And the first thing we notice is that it looks like our data is not coming through. Something's wrong. Right, so let's say that we're working on the app. Something's not work, uh, it's not working the way we want. And so we want to try to debug what's going on. So the first thing we might do is we'll switch over to our dashboard. As I mentioned, we have canaries. Maybe we'll look at it and try to refresh and see if we see a drop. We're not really seeing anything here. So maybe what we'll do is we'll switch over to the logs. So if we go into um, our CLI shell here, what we can do is run a new command that we've added, which is AWS logs tail. If you've used the tail command, it's very similar to what you would do on uh, just a normal text file. And you provide the name of a log group. Also notice here we're using server-side autocomplete, so we don't have to type that long log group name. So if we run this, it's going to give us the most recent logs for, I believe it's the, um, I think the most ten, recent uh, 10 minutes of logs. And if we look at uh, the output here, it's, we can kind of see there's a 500. What we'll do is we'll shorten the output. There's another option we added, which is the dash dash format short. And that's just going to remove the log stream name for us. And then if we scroll back up, yeah, we'll see that there's a 500. So it seems like that's maybe what's happening. And because we're using the external API, it's not going to give us a lot of internal details about why. It's just saying that there was a 500 that happened. And so in order to figure out what's happening, we can look at the logs for the API handler Lambda function. And then we'll have a lot more detail. So we're going to use the tail command again. And then notice it was the server-side autocompletion as well. And if we run this, we should see a little bit more detail about what went wrong. And we can see here that, yeah, in fact, we're getting a provision throughput exceeded exception because uh, we were running a scan operation and we exceeded that throughput. And so one other thing we can do just to verify this theory is we can run the same command but with uh, dash dash follow. This is similar to tail dash f if you used that command in the terminal. And what we'll do is we'll hop back over to the other page and refresh. And as the logs are sent to the log group, we should see them appear in the terminal below. What that's going to allow us to do is just confirm that we are seeing the behavior that we expect. So we'll maybe refresh this a few more times and then just see if we can see the 500 actually happening. That would be the ideal situation here. Now, sometimes it does take a few seconds for the logs to propagate. But eventually, maybe after um, anywhere from like a couple seconds to maybe 30 seconds, we'll see it. And we do see the actual log message come up. It does say provision exceeded throughput exception. So now that we have an idea of what's wrong, we can go ahead and fix it. To alleviate the pain now, what we'll do is we'll just take the error messages suggestion. Kyle will just update the provision throughput of the table. Um, while he's doing that, just mention that there are other ways to solve this. You could potentially uh, look at auto-scaling policies for DynamoDB, uh, maybe not have a scan for your index page, or investigate other architectural choices, like putting a caching layer in front of this so you don't hit the database on every request. 
But we'll update the table here. And notice again for the DynamoDB command, he was able to use server-side autocompletion on the table name. And now we'll just bump the provision throughput up to 50, and we'll see if that's going to fix the immediate uh, issue. So what we can do now is run the dash dash follow command again on that log group, and we'll, yeah, give it some space, and then refresh. And after a while, what we should see is once the uh, provision throughput actually takes, we should see that we're able to get these results again. So that was really just showing how the high-level logs tail command can help you troubleshoot an issue as you're working on, say, a serverless application. Another high-level command that we wanted to show is um, related to DynamoDB. And in order to show that, we'll show you, let's say that we're working on the app and we run into a bug. So what Kyle's going to do here is he's going to upload a file, and we'll pick a file called image with percent. And if we submit this, and refresh, it'll look like everything's fine. It's actually the same image as dog.jpg, but if we pick the file, if we click on it, now what we're gonna see is we're getting an error. And so we wanna try to figure out what's going on. The first thing that really stands out is it's a percent sign and it's in the URL, so our guess is maybe it's not URL encoded properly. So if we just, we'll just test the theory real quick by changing the URL. And so if we add percent 25, it looks like, yeah, okay, the, the image is coming up. So now that we know what's causing the issue, now we can start to investigate where is this coming from? Are we storing it in the database wrong? Are we not presenting it properly in the UI? And so our first guess might be, let's check the database, right? And so what we can do, if we were using CLIv1, we can use the DynamoDB scan operation, and we'll give it the table name for our application. And if you haven't seen the output before for DynamoDB for CLI, it gives you the output directly from Dynamo. It doesn't do any transformation on the data. And so the way you would read this is there's an items list, and then there's an attribute here that says URI, and then the S colon and the value is how DynamoDB encodes types, so that's saying that's a string type. And then, say, the labels key, there's an L for list, and then the list of values, so each one of those is a string, and you see S dog, S animal. And if you've used an AWS SDK before, typically you'll use the document level API, which extracts a lot of these details away. But in the AWS CLI, we just gave you the response directly as it came back. So one of the things that we've added in CLI v2 are new high-level commands to make this more streamlined, and they're in the DDB command. So if we run help here, we'll see that there's two new operations we've added. This is just the start of them. We plan on adding more, but there's a put and a select command. And what we'll do is we'll walk you through how these commands work, starting with select. So if we run the select command with a table name, notice here it's a positional argument, and again, it's using the server-side autocompletion, so we don't have to type this name. Uh, we'll go ahead and pipe this to less, and you should notice two immediate changes. The first one is that the format is in YAML. So instead of showing you JSON, it's using YAML. And I should also mention that we didn't have time to show it today, but there's actually a dash dash output YAML format. So there was JSON table and text that we showed. There's now also a YAML format. And the other thing you should notice is that it's not using the DynamoDB encoded types, it's just using the normal YAML types. So for example, the labels where it says animal, dog, pet, they're just YAML strings. And then the labels, instead of saying it's a DynamoDB list, it's just a YAML list. So it's just the native types here. Now if we scroll down to the very bottom, we can see, yeah, there's an image with percent, and it looks like it is being stored in the database incorrectly. So let's just query a few more things to check that. Um, one thing I wanna show is the key condition. So we can say dash dash key condition. And we'll just look for that specific key. We don't really do this in practice, just showing you how you can use key conditions here, but we can say image with percent, and we'll run this command, and we should just get the one result back. 
Now, one of the things that I stressed in the earlier demo was that even though we have these high-level abstractions to make things more efficient for you, we still want you to be able to see exactly what's going on. And so we can also now leverage the history show command to see exactly what was happening when we ran that select command. So we'll run AWS history show and say that we only want to see the API calls. And what we'll notice is DynamoDB, we're using a DynamoDB query operation. And these are the parameters you'd have to specify in CLI v1. So you'd provide a key condition, then you have the pound n0 equals colon n1, and you map what n0 is for the attribute names, and then you map what uh, n1 is in terms of the attribute values, and you use the DynamoDB encoded types saying s colon and then the string. And so we're abstracting all of that detail away so you can just say the type of query you want more succinctly. Now let's say, if we're going to fix this, we want to know how many keys are affected. So rather than do the key condition, what we're going to do is use dash dash filter, and we want to look for any item that has a name attribute that contains a percent. So what we can do here is use a dash dash filter operation, the contains function. And now if we run this command, this should give us every key that's affected that has a percent in the name. And we can see we got lucky. There's only one point, data point here. And just to show you again, we'll just up arrow and run the history show command. And what I wanted to point out here is notice it's using scan. So it knows that if you're giving a key condition, we can use query. If it's a filter expression, it's using scan. And it's still doing the same pound n0, colon n1, and mapping them appropriately. So it's stuff that you don't have to worry about. But if you did want to see how this was working and you potentially wanted to start scripting this, you could at least uh, look at the history show command to see what's happening. OK, so now that we've done that, let's wrap this up by trying to fix the issue. What we'll do is we'll use a dash dash query. So this is available in the high level command as well. I showed this in the earlier demo. This is the James Path expression to get just the items. And we'll save this to a file. And what Kyle's going to do after this is just open the file and then fix the percent encoding. Should mention if, this was a, if there were a lot of records affected, we'd probably write a script to then manipulate the data and do the URL encoding appropriately. But we'll just go ahead and save it. And now we need to put it back into the database. And in order to do that, we're going to use the next command that we showed in DDB, which is the put command. The way that works is you have put, and then the table name is a positional parameter, and then the YAML contents of the items you want to put. Here we'll use file colon slash slash to point to the items.yaml file. We'll run this, and it imports all the data back into DynamoDB. We'll just run a select real quick to double check that everything's there. And once we do that, we should see the URI encoded appropriately. Yep, we see the image with percent %25. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that um, it is very idiomatic in CLIs to have the output of one command piped to the input of another command. So if we were going to transform this, you can specify dash for standard in, and then just pipe the contents that you wanted to standard in, and then run this. So we can run this again, and it's the same result. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that it also is smart about looking at the number of items you are sending. So if you do send multiple items, it would also switch to a batch write um, if there is more than one. And in this case, it's just using a put item. OK, and so to wrap this up, let's also go back to the main page now and refresh. And we're going to confirm that if we fix the issue in the database, then when you click the image, it looks like everything works. So now um, we know where to fix the bug. We, we know that we need to make sure when we're ingesting the image and we're saving the attributes of DynamoDB to proper URL encode it. And we're able to use a CLI to help us figure that out. OK, so we'll switch back to the slides here. And we're just going to wrap up real quick. Um, we showed you today what was new with the CLI, particularly AWS CLI v2. It is under active development in GitHub. Uh, we want your feedback. Try it out and let us know what you think. In terms of what we showed today, we showed things for backwards incompatible and some of the feature removals, improvements to the interactive usage. So we looked at autocomplete. We looked at um, CLI wizards. And finally, to wrap it up, we saw the high-level commands using a sample app where we looked at the DynamoDB select input and then the AWS logs tail command. So the next steps for you, if this is interesting, if you want to try, if you, if you want to try this out, 
you can go to our GitHub page. Kyle showed you earlier the tagged release. It's on our GitHub repo for v2. Also, all of the code that we're working on is developed openly on GitHub, so there's a v2 branch that you can follow uh, and even send changes if you want. And then anything on GitHub that is related to v2, any labels, any feature requests, any pull requests, will have the v2 branch on it. Um, quick note, complete the session survey. It's how we get better. Let us know what you like and what you didn't like. And we hope that you all are excited about CLI v2. You try it out and you let us know what you think and you help us shape the future of the next major version of the AWS CLI. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.